team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to a special edition of We're Live Pal, a Podski Wee Wee pregame show. I'm Mike Graham, and I'm joined as always by my podcast partner, Josh Smith. Josh, how you doing? It's been a while. How was your vacation? It was good. It was good. How was yours, buddy? It, it was great. You know, it, it's good to get away for a while from the big city, as I'm sure you can relate to. Uh, but it's also nice to get back and to get back into the rhythm of things, of your normal life, right? Yeah, like it's always nice to kind of recharge, unplug, you know what I mean, get away from everything like you said. And it's it's nice now though, like we got a little bit like when we were you I think you were on vacation, I was about to take mine. There was that loss to Edmonton, everyone's kind of down. Then we got a chance to like kind of get away from it all and then we come back a little more rejuvenated, a little bit ready. We got the biggest game of the biggest regular season game of the year on tap and we're coming off a big win over BC. We're going to get into all that stuff, of course, as we talk today. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's nice to be back into civilization. Nice to be back into the regular swing of things. But it's always nice to unplug for a little bit. Get a get away. Uh, you went up north in Ontario. I went over to PEI. So we got about as far away from civilization each of us did as we probably could. Absolutely. Both islands. So mine a little bit smaller than yours. But, you know, I grew up, every summer I used to go to Manitoulin Island and, uh, it was nice to get back there. It was very uh, nostalgic for myself, so it was good to get away. But it's good to get back and talk some Cat football. And we got a lots to talk about today. We got a game preview, as we'll get into right now. Uh, you know, it's, it's a sold-out Tim Hortons field today, you know, as it always is on Labor Day. But if you just want to, you know, talk a little bit about what the feeling is like at Tim Hortons field on Labor Day. It's different it's a playoff atmosphere it's everything you come to expect when you think of football in Hamilton the, like you said sold out crowd they don't sell them out all, all the time anymore they still get decent crowds here in Hamilton but Labor Day is something special last year there was the the loss on Labor Day in an ugly contest a little bit of a gloomy day if I remember today it's going to be scorching hot and sunny so there's just that vibe and every time I think of Labor Day at Tim Hortons Field specifically I think of the very first one the 2014 classic, which was the very first game at Tim Hortons field. They do the flyover right as kickoffs about to happen. The Argos fumble the opening kickoff. It was a bit of an ugly game. I think the final was something like 13, 12 or 12, 11 or something. Wasn't a pretty game by any stretch of the imagination, but it was the first win in Hamilton at Tim Hortons field for the franchise taking place against the Argos on Labor Day. Just kind of felt, perfect in a way and then up until last year it was complete domination for the tabbies on labor day they'd won every single game going into labor day except for last season and now it's time to start that streak anew is it not 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. It's not going to be an easy task, but I've been to many Labor Day games, not at Tim Hortons Field, but at the old stadium, Iverwind Stadium. And, you know, back then there was a little bit more people you could jam into the stadium. You know, I think the the sellout crowd was around 29,000 or, or 30,000. Uh, but, you know, one day I'll have to get back for a, for a Labor Day Classic at Tim Hortons Field. I still have to I still have to do that. It's on my bucket list. I know I'm a little bit young to have a bucket list, but uh, that's on it for sure. But uh, yeah, I just I have fond memories of being a young child, going with my parents to the games, and then as I got older, going to the games with friends. Uh, the the game that stands out to me the most was the the tie game. I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was the 2004, Argonauts, 2004 led by Michael Bishop. Uh, the Argonauts and uh, Troy Davis had a massive game over 200 yards rushing. I think he broke a record on that day. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was the Ticats single game rushing record is what he broke that day. Yeah, it was well over 200 yards rushing. So that, that was just one of the more exciting Labor Day games. And there's been many of them for sure, but let's hope, you know, it doesn't have to be exciting today, right, Josh? It just has to be a beat down and we'll be very, very happy. For sure. And you mentioned off the top there talking about it's going to be a tough task. This team, the Ticats that is, Labor Day records don't mean anything when it comes to this. I have been to a number of Labor Day classics. We can go through 2017, the most recent example of that. They're winless. They lost 60-1 to to the Stampeders a few weeks prior. They had fired their head coach. June Jones had taken over. This team was an absolute mess. Labor Day comes. They beat the Argos. Now, the Argos went on to win the Grey Cup that year, so their fans got the last laugh. But even as a Grey Cup champion, a potential a future Grey Cup champion, Labor Day, winless Ticats win that game. Uh, I think it was 2005, I believe, the Ticats finished something like 4-14 and or 3-15 and or something like that. The Argos would finish first in the East on Labor Day, 33-30 victory. But the big one, the one that I always remember, and yes, it's over 30 years ago, but it's, to me, the, the standard bearer when it comes to it doesn't matter where these teams are. Labor Day is a different animal. And that's 1991. The Argos were a loaded group that year. Matt Dunnigan, Rocket Ishmael, Pinball Clemens. The list goes on and on of, of great players that were on the team. Also a team that would go on to win the Grey Cup. On Labor Day, they come into Hamilton. They're flying high. The Ticats are also winless at this point, And they absolutely beat the Argos down. I think the final score was 48-24. to 24. So... Yeah, it's a tall task. The Argos are 8-1 and one coming into this game. The Ticats are 4-6. and six. It's It feels like everything's kind of stacked against the Tabbies in this one. We did see them lose last year, which kind of takes that mystique of the Argos can't win on Labor Day at Tim Hortons Field away. But I've seen too many times over the course of this rivalry in this game, not even necessarily at the stadium, but on that parcel of land, it doesn't matter what your record is at the time. It, it The crowd's going to get them into it. It's It's Labor Day is a different beast. The Argos might look like and might be the best team in the CFL right now. After the 60 minutes are played this afternoon, might not make a difference. Ticats are going to merge victorious. And for for a recent example, you could go to last night. I mean, I know it doesn't match yep. up to the Labor Day classics of of today, but the Saskatchewan Winnipeg rivalry. Saskatchewan five and five. Winnipeg, I think, had nine wins, and they, yep. and they ended up winning that game at home. So, yeah, you throw the records out the window, anything can happen on Labor Day. So let's get into this one, shall we? Let's let's take a look at some of the, the both of the depth charts. Uh, first, start off with the bad guys, the Toronto Argonauts. We'll start off with the offense along the offensive line. You got Cage at left tackle, Hunter at left guard, 
center Soraco, former Tiger, Tiger Cat, right guard Nicastro, and right tackle Allen. Uh, a formidable unit this season. They've done a great job for the Argonauts, protecting Chad Kelly, opening holes for their running backs, Ouellette and Harris. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of this unit? It's going to be tough to crack. We know Hamilton's defensive line hasn't been great this year. This is getting after Chad Kelly and not letting him make plays on the move is kind of how you've, I mean, the only way, the only team that's beaten him this year was Calgary and they injured him. So it's like, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot to say about weaknesses in Kelly's game right now. And a lot of that has to do with how good that offensive line has been. There's three potential all-stars up there. I think Dijon Allen has been perhaps the best tackle in football this year. We know how good Nicastro Sorocco's a, a very good center. Like the Argos have a, talented roster like this is not going to be an easy game and it starts up front they're very very solid up front so they're going to have to do some interesting things defensively to counteract what the Argos have been doing all season so far a talented unit up front and a talented unit in the receiving core they got Coxie sorry wide receiver uh Diverius Daniels as a slot back Cam Phillips the other slot back but he is a game time decision Curly Gittins Jr uh you know he really took off last season i feel like he's taken a step back this year maybe because maybe because they have so many weapons uh but yeah i expected a bigger year from him and ungerer i didn't expect anything out of him with the argonauts especially his time with the tie cats i mean he was an okay receiver nothing wrong with him but he's uh i feel like he's really stepped up this year how what do you make of this whole unit i'm i'm not as high on the argos receivers as a lot of people are and i think Mm -hmm. I think I'm giving more credit to Chad Kelly for elevating a unit. That's good. Like, I'm not saying those guys are, are bad players, but Cam Phillips was also in Hamilton. Didn't really do much. You mentioned Unger. Gittins has kind of had a bit of a down year. DeVaris Daniels has looked great, but it's been a few years since he was kind of that dominant receiver that we saw in Calgary. He's been with Toronto now a few years. Didn't, had, didn't really do much until this season. And Coxie is – he's good, but he's he's high and low, right? Like, we, we saw him exploit the Ticats in the first game way back in June and then kind of fall off the map until a couple of weeks back. So I do think it's a talented group. I just don't think – I think the the quarterback makes them better than what they might be as a whole. But it's it, the past defense has been an issue for Hamilton, and these guys can make waves. We've seen DeVars Daniels rip apart the Ticats with the Argos and with the Stampeders over his career. So it wouldn't be surprising to me to see him have kind of a big game. But, yeah, I, I – Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. It's hard to talk negatively about a team that's 8-1. But mm-hmm. if there was an area where I think the Ticats could neutralize the Argos, it would be in in finding a way to slow down the passing attack because I don't necessarily think those receivers are – I don't think they have a Tier 1 receiver. I think they have a lot of Tier 2, Tier 3 guys, if that makes sense. Now, it might be an easier task to shut down the receivers than it will be the running backs because A.J. Yeah. Olet is one of the best in the league, if not the best at this point in time. And say what you want about Andrew Harris, he is a good relief valve for A.J. Olet. So a pretty good combo in the backfield. How are we going to manage to slow these guys down? Got to be a big Dylan win Casey Sales, Ted Laurent game to do that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Hamilton's run defense has been terrible. I, they did a really good job against BC. I think they only allowed... 50-ish yards on the ground in that one. But that might also have been a product of they were blowing out the lines for most of that game. Um, so teams get away from the run when they are forced to pass. To, they got to pick up big chunks of yards. They got to score quickly. But Hamilton's run defense, you touched on this a number of times this year, has been pretty bad this year. So 
if Alette gets through the first line and can start making guys miss or start running guys over, it could be a long day for the defense and it could be a big game for the running backs. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're a dangerous unit out there. And to finish off the offensive side of the ball, you have Calver at fullback. I don't think we have much to say about him. No. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line, a very strong group for the Toronto Argonauts. You got Ormelotti, the big offseason signing from Calgary at defensive end. Oakman in the middle, defensive tackle. Hendricks also in the middle. And then Robbie Smith, the Canadian uh, on the other side of that defensive line. One of the scariest units in the league, no? Yeah, Fre- terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. We talked about this when they last played the Argos, and it was like, I think it was uh, Oakman wasn't in there. We're like, oh, the Ticats should be able to run. Nope. Like, their backups are, are good <laughs> yeah. enough to start on teams this year. Like, that's just how good the Argos are. Like, it pains us to say it, but the Argos are 8-1 and one for a reason. They're, they're talented across the board, but they're not unbeatable. We've seen them lose. It took an injury to their quarterback, but I we've also seen them get into shootouts with other teams. So it's like, there's there's a way to make hay here. We've seen James Butler start to get going in the last couple of weeks with Scott Milanovic calling plays. So the Ticats are, once again, consistent with the run. Maybe they can be more physical up front, and then that would wear down the defensive front, which would open up holes and maybe some big chunk gains in the running game. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not going to be easy, but uh, it doesn't get any easier as we go along in this Toronto nope. Argonauts defense. The linebacking core is, is, is really strong as well. You got McManus, you got Williams, and you got Pickett. Um, pretty formidable uh, group as well. Probably the best linebacking trio in the league mm-hmm. by a wide margin, quite honestly. Like, Whitten McManus is a defensive player of the year candidate. Jordan Williams is, they brought him over from BC. He's been excellent. And Darius Pickett, probably the best Sam linebacker. Like, it's, again, we're, we're kind of just treading on the same sort of things. It's like, here's the group. They're awesome. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's... It's, just, it's not going to be easy today, but you got to believe in the magic of Labor Day is the way I look at it. So then we go into the secondary at the weak side cornerback spot. We have uh, Peters. Uh, halfback. Jamal Peters. Yep. Halfback Daniel. Safety. Mechie. Uh, halfback on the other side, McFadden. And then the cornerback, Stiggers. Uh, yeah. Another really good unit that uh, is going to be tough to beat. Yeah, they're probably going to it's, – it's funny because Deshaun Amos is not going to play in this game. He was injured in their last game. You look at – I believe that would make – I think it's McFadden's his replacement, but McFadden was a starter on that team last year, so it's not as if there's a big drop-off there from one guy to the next. Deshaun Amos is a great player and is, is obviously better than McFadden, but there's not a huge drop-off in talent there. I said Jamal Peters, Ticats killer. Everyone remembers last year he had like 29 interceptions against the Ticats and four games. Mm-hmm. Stiggers has been a, a great addition as a, as a rookie there. Mechie's a good safety. Like it's just, again, top to bottom, this roster is loaded, but yep. it's Labor Day, man. I'm not, I'm not going to be too praiseworthy of the Argos because we're going to win this game today. So let's switch over to the good guys, the home team, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, our Hamilton Tiger Cats. Let's start off with the offensive line and a left tackle, a game time decision, but I think he's going to play well. Figueroa is back, my friend. Let's just pause and talk about, you know, what it means for him to come back to this team. Not just what it means for like that's it's a great addition having him back. If he can get back to being that dominant player we've seen in the last few years, that would be fantastic. But it also makes the line as a whole better. The big, as good as they were against the Lions and the two rookies, Kemp and Sartor, were very good against BC. 
you throw Figueroa in there, Sartre's off the roster, you get to throw Kemp there. We're going to talk about the whole Jordan Murray of it in a little bit. This just makes the unit as a whole better. You can man up Figueroa. It's going to be a tough task. He's going to be going up against Flo or Lermelade a lot, but you can line him up. You can, you, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, he's not going to need the same type of help that, a, that Kemp or Sartre would have needed if they were in there. So having him back, especially for this game and for the stretch run here, massive. At left guard, Revenberg, uh, you know, a, a tremendous player. He's been a, he's been an anchor along this offensive line for a couple years now. We have David Beard at center, one of the best centers in the league. Wood Manzi at right guard and at right tackle, Kemp. How do you feel about this offensive line going into Labor Day against a tough defensive line of the Argonauts? I mean, Kemp's going to be in tough going up against yeah. the, the ends over there, and I'm sure they're going to the Argos are going to defensively try to match up some of their best pass rushers on him. But the re the reintroduction of Figueroa just makes the unit as a whole that much better. But it's not going to be easy. Like Toronto's defensive front is very stout. Hamilton's line has to be good. They were great last week against BC. Not as great in the passing attack. I didn't find. I thought that Taylor Powell run was block, a little though. Woo, run yeah, block. But Woo. The, the run, the yeah, yeah, the run blocking was out of this world. So again, with a rookie quarterback on a day like today, if you can run the ball like that again in this one, shorten the game a little bit, make the throws that Powell has to make a little easier, mm-hmm. the game can go in your favor. I just hope Figueroa is fully ready to come back because even yeah. before he got injured, he didn't look so great out there. So I just hope he's he's fully ready to come back and he's ready to to block those guys along the ends because it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one, a tough test for him after being you know not playing football for many many weeks. But yeah, overall, what week? What is it? Week two? He got hurt against the Argos, so it's been yeah, it's almost been a while. three months that he's been out. It's been a while. Yeah. Now jumping to the receivers. Uh, we got we had Godwin at the one re- wide receiver spot. We got slot back White, Tim White, of course. Uh, McAllister at the other at the other slot box spot. Uh, Duke Williams is a game time decision, so we, we're not sure about him. And then Keandre Smith at wide receiver. Uh, you know they they've been up and down this this year. This unit uh, specific guys like Tim White have been up and down as well. Uh, how do you feel about this unit going into this game? It's probably the best five-man group they can put out right now. It doesn't blow you away, unfortunately, but I think this is the—I believe this is the same starting five they had last week, and that worked pretty well. So yeah. again, it's—I think a lot of this is going to come down to what they do in the running game, as as and and kind of Milanovic's play calling, play design, stuff mm-hmm. like that, because we saw it work really well against BC, not as well against Edmonton. Maybe now that he's had a couple more weeks with the team it, it could even be better so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do it tim white i don't know if he has to have a big game but it would be really nice if he had a game i think this could be this could be if he plays and i think he will duke williams could be a big game for duke i think that middle of the field those eight to 12 yard routes i think is where they can kind of take advantage of this team maybe get in behind the linebackers in front of the dbs i don't i don't think this is going to be an air it out you know 400 yards on each side passing game performance. But I think the Ticats are going to do their best to keep possession, long drives, long time possession, and keep the Argos offense off the field. And that I think that could mean a big game for Duke. And, you know, you don't have a ton of superstar names in this lineup when it comes to the receivers, but I feel like you have a nice mix of size and speed. You got both in Tim White, Godwin's guy, Duke Williams is a huge dude. 
Uh, obviously, McAllister has speed to burn. So I think there's a nice uh, combination of things in this lineup with the receivers. Now getting into the running backs, uh, Butler will start. Obviously coming off a tremendous game last week against the BC Lions, and Thomas Erlington will be his backup. I'm hoping to see more of the same. You know, obviously the Toronto Argonauts are going to be looking at film, and they're going to try to slow down this guy, but I'm hoping for a nice mixture of run and pass in this one as well. James Butler has been been the biggest beneficiary of the change in offensive coordinator. He, despite yeah. the loss against the Elks, he had over 100 yards in that one. He comes back with his best game of the season against BC, over 100 total yards in that one as well, and he scores two touchdowns. Now he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder being a former Lions player, and I know that, that was downplayed throughout the week. Like, oh, it doesn't matter all that much. And then in the game, it's like, oh, no, it clearly matters. He had like over 100 yards of offense, I believe, at halftime. So. Again, I, I, if he's a big part of this offense, I think that's one of the reasons Ticats can win this game. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I think, I think I'm going to talk about it in the the keys to victory. But you know, you have to use what they did last week to your advantage. Maybe early on in the game, do some play action and and pass it downfield because they're going to be looking for that run early on. Um, now, getting into the fullbacks, yeah, you got Goche starting. Obviously, he's an important part of the offense, but um, you know, not a lot to touch on when it comes to fullbacks. They're not going to be seeing the ball a lot, but but yeah, he he is the starting fullback for anyone that's that's interested. Uh, going to going to the defensive side of the ball, and no offense to the fullbacks, but they're you know just the game how the games played these days. They're not involved as much as they were say twenty or thirty years ago. Uh, along the defensive line, we have Malik Carney, Casey Sales, defensive tackle, Ted Laurent the nose tackle and defensive end on the other side, Trey Crawford, you know, they, they've been, they've been pretty good in the last couple of games. I feel like as the season goes along, they've been getting better, getting more pressure on the quarterback, getting better at attacking the run game. So how do you, how do, what do you make of these four guys lining up today? I like that unit. I think yep. we've seen those guys that you said, they've kind of gotten better as the, as the season's gone on. We know there's going to be a heavy dose of mixing it. I think Casey Sales has been underratedly great this year. I don't think enough people are talking about what he's done. I think he has sacks in back-to-back games. Now he's been a real menace in the middle. But now that he has Dylan Wynn back and they're doing the rotation with Teddy Laurent, like it just makes that though that middle of the line that much better. So I'm hoping that with Wynn now getting another game in and, and as he starts to work his way back into kind of playing shape, like he's always in great shape. I'm not saying that, but – there's difference between being in shape and being in condition to play football. I think the more he plays, the better he'll get. Again, it's going to be a tough test. That's a, that's a really good offensive line in Toronto and a really stout running game. But I think they're up for the, up for the challenge of, of holding the Argos to minimal gains on the ground and kind of making life miserable for Chad Kelly. I really do like this group. Yeah, I'm with you. And shout out to Ted Laurent for having a really good season so far after, you know, me kind of bagging on him in the last couple of years. Um, you know, unnecessarily, uh, and I take all that back because he's having a really good year. <laughs> and can you can we just talk about Dylan Wynn for a second? This guy's a maniac. I see him like when the camera's pointing at him and he doesn't even know. He's like talking to himself, psyching himself up. He's sticking out his tongue like a crazy man. Like this guy has a future in professional wrestling after football. I'm telling you, if, you, if anyone, if any family member or, or Dylan Wynn hears this himself, you know we want you to play football as long as possible. But you got a future in professional wrestling, I'm telling you. The personality is off the charts. He's as locked in on game day as any player I've 
ever seen. Ever, like ever. it's it's almost as if he goes into some sort of like fugue state for yes. three hours, and it's just like I because I I've seen him a couple of times like in like autograph signings and stuff like that, and he's like the nicest, most like calmest person you've ever seen. And then on game day, it's like he's a freaking animal. Mm-hmm. And I agree, he does definitely have a future in, in pro wrestling if he wants it, but. He's just I, – I don't think I've ever seen a guy that just – it's as if the whistle blows and he, like, transforms. It's like he's like the Incredible Hulk. It's like yeah. something happens and it's just like now he's unhinged for the next three and a half hours and then the game ends and he just goes back to being mild-mannered. Everyone loves him, Dylan Wynn. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. It really is. Now the linebackers, we got a weak side linebacker, Simone Lawrence. Middle linebacker, we have Jameer Thurman. And on the strong side, we have Chris Edwards. These guys are pretty good. You know, you talk about the Toronto Argonauts linebackers, but we got a pretty good uh, linebacking core ourselves. Certainly do. Chris Edwards going up against his old team. That might be a little bit of uh might have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I think he's had a couple pretty good games against the Argos this year. I think he was uh, instrumental in a turnover in the game here in Hamilton a few weeks back. And I think he made a play or two in the game in Toronto, obviously didn't lead to wins, but I think he's going to be a little motivated, especially on Labor Day to play against his old squad. Big thing, though, you didn't mention him because he's not a starter, but Kyle Wilson's out for this one. I think that's a kind of a big blow, especially to the special teams unit and yep. to Hamilton when they go into those sub packages where they put Wilson on sometimes in place of Lawrence, sometimes with Lawrence in a three, a four linebacker set. That's a pretty big loss just because of how athletic and dangerous he can be on the defensive side of the ball. But if this comes down to – the just the core trio i feel pretty solid that they can get the job done it'd be interesting to see if they if they rotate in flowers lloyd at all for some money really Lawrence should. because he's obviously we talked about it you've talked about it a lot how he's been a demon on special teams and this guy's just flying all over the place it'd be interesting to see how he does at the linebacker linebacker position if he gets in there yeah, him either playing linebacker. I know he's listed as linebacker. He can also play some DB. That's what he we came from mm-hmm. college doing. So it would be really nice to see him get some more reps on defense. I think he probably is now the next man up with Kyle Wilson out. I would suspect that when they go into those four linebacker packages, when they go in the obvious passing downs, they tend to do that. You get an ultra athletic guy like Flowers Lloyd on the field. I think that that's a that could pose some real pressure, especially because he you haven't seen much of it this year. I. I you can probably count on both hands how many defensive snaps Flowers Lloyd has played. So it could be a wrinkle that the Argos aren't expecting and maybe could lead to some big plays by the defense if that happens. Now jumping into the defensive backfield, the weak side cornerback, George Jr. gets the start, the weak side halfback, Elliott gets the start, uh, free safety, Cast and Tonis, the strong side halfback, Adela Kay, and the strong side cornerback, Richard Leonard. Uh, obviously, coming into the season, there was question marks along the, uh, you know, the cornerback position and the halfbacks for that matter. George Jr., a rookie, Elliott brought in from Calgary at halfback. Um, Delicate has had his tough times playing that halfback position. He's going to get the start again today. Richard Leonard obviously isn't a worry, uh, a veteran, and Castantonis does a fine job at safety. Uh, how do how, how's this going to break down? Like, are they going to be able to cover these Toronto Argonaut receivers? I'm 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 a little worried here because even though they they smacked the lines around last week, Vernon Adams had over 300 yards, and so you can say, and I I probably did say a lot of kind of a lot of empty calorie yards there, especially at the end. But and the Argos receivers, I don't think are as good as BC's group, but they they give up a lot of yards through the air, and I do worry that if 
and again, this is in conjunction with what the rest of the defense does. But if the Argos are able to keep that pass rush at bay, I do. I am a little concerned that maybe the secondary won't be up to snuff to guard these guys. But again, we can go through all the permutations. We can go through all the statistics. We can talk about why this game should go one way or the other. It's motherfucking Labor Day, man. And at the end of the day, that's really the only stat that matters is what day this game is taking place on. Absolutely. Th- throw everything out. We just did a bunch of analysis on the depth chart, but don't, you Toss shouldn't have listened out. to that. You shouldn't have listened to that garbage. So let's, uh, you want to just jump into the keys to victory for the Hamilton Tiger Cats? You got some for let's me? Do it. Uh, yeah, I just said it. It's Labor Day. That's the biggest key to victory for this team. There you go. Um, joking aside, though, I think they got to run the ball. I think they got to control the clock. I know that people say, you know, modern football, establishing the run, yada, yada, yada. But sometimes when there is a disparity in talent, the Argos are the top scoring team in the league. Their defense is one of the best. The best way to kind of inoculate yourself from getting blown out in a game like today against a team that is, by all statistical measures, the better team is you control the football and you beat them up. We saw the Ticats beat up the BC line. Because everything we're saying about this game applied to last week's game against BC, except the Ticats were on the road in that one. They had no business. Like, mm-hmm. Everyone Shocking. their grandmother... It was, it was, it was stunning. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but no one saw that. Like, I believe the picks on three down, the lines were 10 and a half point favorites. Everyone took the lines and everyone took the line straight up. Like no one saw that win coming because of what we'd seen. So everything we're saying about, because the Lions are, I think they're the second highest scoring team. Their passing offense might be the best passing offense. Their defense is undoubtedly the stingiest in the league when it comes to giving up points. And Hamilton hung 30 on them and beat them by three scores. So it's like, we know the statistics matter, but football is such a weird game. And what did the Ticats do in that game that made it easy? They ran the ball, they controlled the clock, and they limited mistakes. And those are the things, it sounds simple, it sounds cliche, maybe it sounds a little boring, but those are the things that they have to do. If they have, a, a, if they can sustain long drives, if they can tire out the Argos defense, especially on a day that's going to be scorching hot, the last thing you want is the defense on the field for 35 to 40 minutes. Don't, it's that type of ball control, pound it up the middle, beat them up football that we saw a week ago against BC. You can't replicate it because it's a different team, and now they know that you can do these things. But if it's a similar type of game plan, I think that's the biggest thing here is keep the Argos offense off the field because if they're not on the field, they can't score. And we know the Argos can score in bunches. So that's my biggest my biggest one here. And obviously, the I don't want to step on any – I'm not sure what yours are. I don't want to step on your toes, but – you know, protecting the quarterback, getting after the opposing quarterback, like all those things are kind of, mm-hmm. we, we know that those are the things they have to do. But I think if they can control the ball, if they can keep their offense off the field, I think that that's probably the biggest key to victory for the Tabbies in this one. Some great points from you. Mine are score early. This mm-hmm. team has had trouble putting points on the board in the first half. We need to get out. We need to start hot. We need, we can't fall behind against these guys and start trying to score touchdowns to keep up. We have to score touchdowns ourselves and get ahead. Limit penalties. Okay, they did a really good job last week or their the last game against the BC Lions. I think they only had four the whole game. That's a good number to have. So if you can keep the penalties under five, I'd be happy with that. Balance play calling. Use the run and use the pass. And I'd like to see some play action passes early on, maybe catch the Argonauts biting on that fake handoff and throw it downfield. For an early score, that would be awesome. And limit the gains for the Argonauts on first down. They are at the top of the league 
for yards per first down. If you can get them under five yards on first down and make it a little bit harder on second, I think it will go a long way. So those are my keys to victory for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And of course, it's Labor Day. And that's and like I said at the top. That's Smash all them in the mouth. Smash them yep. in the mouth. How, all right, over, Josh. Over under, over under on kerfuffles today. We get more than we get over under one and a half kerfuffles. Yeah, I think we're going to get two kerfuffles. Uh, I think, think I think Chris Chris think, Edwards involved in one of them. Oh, I, I imagine so. Hopefully, nothing too crazy. But you know, you love to see those scuffles early on, Not, and nothing crazy, but just to get the blood flowing a little bit. It's Labor Day, baby. Yeah, and get the crowd into it. Yeah, that's what I want to see. I'm saying Absolutely. over as well. So let's get into some league news. Uh, this is actually Ty Cats news. The Jordan Murray signing. This guy Huge. was an offensive lineman for the Tiger Cats. He went down with the Colts for a couple years. Now he's come back up north to sign with the Tabbies once again. Massive signing, though. It just makes the offensive line that much better. We've been dealing with rookie tackles the entire season, it feels like. It coincides with Joel Figueroa returning to the lineup. Now I'm assuming Jordan Murray, will. he was a left tackle when he was last year and was I mean, he spent two years with the Indianapolis Colts for a reason, and he's a big dude, but I guess he would move to the right side and, and become a right tackle. We've seen that that can some – Riker Matthews went from right tackle to left tackle and did it fairly well until the Grey Cup, of course, in 2019. But it's not as easy as I think we make it out to be. But at the same time, he's a talented player. I think he can make the switch. And you have those two guys – that just makes the offensive line that much more potent, that much better that it's, it, there's no negatives to this move whatsoever. No. And then you got Chris Van Zyl, you know, a guy that's been injured all season, but a veteran presence that can step in if there's any injuries, because I believe he's healthy now. So that's a good guy to have, uh, you know, waiting in the weeds if, if necessary. So the, the depth along the offensive line, you know, it, it was a, a positive at the start of the season. Then all those injuries hit, and we seem to be thin along the offensive line for a long time. Now we're getting that depth back. Yeah, and there's still Kyle Saxlid, who's I think he's on the 16 yep. injured list, but that's a guy if he ever does get healthy, he can come back. Like, it's not for a lack of talent that the offensive line has struggled. It's for a lack of availability. Like, this, mm-hmm. this old line isn't as bad as it – and even bad. Like, I think they're probably middle of the pack, quite honestly, but – the two tackle spots have been a problem, but that's because they've been forced to start guys that combine between them probably don't even have a season's worth of starts. So it's it's only understandable that they would struggle with with young players of those positions. Now you're getting a stalwart guy, a guy who's been in the league for a decade back in Figueroa. You're getting George Murray, who when he was last year was pretty damn good. So it just makes it just elevates the unit as well. We know the middle of the line, Revenberg, Beard, Wood Manzi. Revenberg and Beard, of course, are the elite guys. With Manzi's serviceable, you know what I mean. Like, I don't. I think you can more easily. And I, I hate to say this because it sounds as like if I'm being critical, but you can hide his flaws more if there's better guys. If 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 he's got a better tackle, and then you can you can hide a guard's deficiencies more so than you can hide the tackles. So getting Jordan Murray back, getting Joel Figueroa healthy, just makes that unit just that much more dangerous and perfect time of the year to get get these guys going. Right, like this team's what four and six right now. Even with the loss today, they're still sitting third place. They'll still be in a playoff spot. But now you can get these guys. And I, again, I don't think they're going to lose today. But if you can start to roll off some wins and, and get these guys going, this latter sixth of the season, eight games of the season, maybe they have a similar turnaround as they did last year. 
roll into the playoffs with a little momentum. We're seeing Montreal struggle a little bit. I don't know. Maybe maybe second place in the East isn't as unreachable as we thought it was a few weeks back. Yeah, it was funny watching the the Montreal Alouettes, and I, you know, they, they, they come in six and four record the game against uh, the BC Lions this weekend, and I was like, holy crap, they're six and four! Like I didn't even realize that they had like a really good, well, not a really good, but a pretty good record. So now they dropped to six and six and five on the season. Um, you know, four and six isn't great for the Tie Cats, obviously, but we're still in the hunt, right? We're not we're not two and six, we're not one and eight or one and nine no. or whatever. We're still within reaching distance of, of a playoff spot. And like you said, maybe even second place. Like the, the losses, yep. the earlier losses to Montreal hurt because now yeah. you have to take over. You can't, if they're both nine and nine, the Owls get the home playoff game. But I mean, the Owls were at one point, what, six and three, I think. I think they've lost two in a row. So mm-hmm. if the Owls start six and three and finish nine and nine, well, now you're looking at a team that, okay, well, they went three and six down the stretch. Where you look at Hamilton, they were three and six. They finished nine and nine. That's a team that won six of their last nine. Which team has the more positive momentum going into a potential playoff matchup? Like it's, it's again, at the end of the season, you don't want to be 500. I know you've been joking now for nearly a decade that that's the Ticats record, but with how this team started, they finished nine and nine, even if they don't take over Montreal, you got to think with how they would have closed out the season, winning six of their last nine games, you'd have a little bit more positive feelings going in. And like last time we sat down to record, we were killing this team for being basically out of it, but we come back and, you know, one win later and they're, they're two games back. They're a game and a half back right now. They win today. Things get a little more interesting in the East with a victory today by the Tabbies. So speaking of the Eastern Division, a big player was signed for the, for the Toronto Argonauts. Their starting quarterback, Chad Kelly, signs a three-year extension. What does this mean for the Toronto Argonauts and uh, the, you know, the franchise as a whole? It's unsurprising, uh, just based on his play this year. He still has the NFL opt-out window, so everyone who's saying, like, all those people that said he would go to the NFL, oh, what are you thinking now? Kelly himself said he wanted to go to the NFL. This wasn't everyone just making it up at a whole cloth. It's like, oh, well, if he's good, he's going to the NFL. He said that himself. How many off-season podcasts did he do where he's like, my goal is to get back down south. My goal is to get back down south. Now he's staying. Good for him. They've locked him up. They've made him the highest-paid player in the league understandably so I've seen some people especially out in Winnipeg Bob Irving I think was like he doesn't deserve it it's like do you, do people not know how sports works now the the highest paid player in the league is the next guy due for his big contract if he's a superstar to borderline superstar you know what I mean like Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL he's like the sixth highest paid QB because he signed his deal and then a bunch of guys after him signed and then when Mahomes is due for an extension he'll like that's just how sports works the next guy to sign gets the most money I think it's good for the, I, he's been great this year. Like I, I, I know you had doubts. I had much many more doubts about him than maybe even you did, but he's been phenomenal this year. I think he's the front runner for MOP. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. If they, if he continues to have a strong season, if he wins it, the Argos had to do this deal. What does make it interesting is how now they're going from paying Chad Kelly, like 150 ish thousand to 600,000. That's a big chunk of money. That's, you know, a lot of there's going to have to be some roster cuts there to make that work. One of the reasons they were able to bring in so much talent in this past off season was because Kelly was making league minimum ish money for a quarterback. I think he was making a little bit more, but that's a sizable gap now. So that's going to change what the Argos can do with their roster. But you had they had to make this move. Like if he wants to be here, he wants to play in Toronto. I believe when I believe he was on Edmonton's negotiation list, and they traded him to Toronto. 
in some deal for somebody because Kelly said he only wanted to play for the Argos if he was going to play in the CFL. He only wanted to play in Toronto. They have to make the, if he wants to play there, they have to do the deal. I think it's smart for both sides. But this doesn't end the idea of him going to the NFL. I, I think he's not going to go to the NFL. He's 30 years old now. I don't think that many NFL teams that when he's already been down there are itching or clamoring to bring him back. I think it's a smart deal for both sides. But I am curious to see how this affects the, ro- the roster for the Argos next season when Kelly's extension kicks in. Yeah, I'm interested to see that as well. You know, maybe not as much talent around him next year when they have to pay him over $600,000. So I'm I'm with you though. You know, if you're the Argonauts, you have to sign this guy. You know, they're 9 and 1 right now. Their uh, their offense has been playing really well. Um Chad Kelly has obviously played really well this season and they're signing him for what he's going to do, not what he has done. Like you talk about the Bob Irving saying, oh, he doesn't deserve it. You know, uh, Caleros has done it, but it's different. Like, it's just a different situation. Chad Kelly has shown that he's a pretty darn good quarterback, and the Argonauts believe that he's going to carry that over for the next three years. So um, it's a good signing for them, but uh, let's move on. So and the Elks- when Caleros, but here's the thing. When Caleros okay. or or Vernon, Ad- like whatever ne- the next quarterback, that like if, if Nathan Rourke comes back to the CFL, he will be, be the, the highest paid yeah. player in the league. You know what I mean? No like doubt. No the next doubt. guy to get that deal resets the market. It, yeah. We saw it with Bo Levi Mitchell and Mike Riley. They were both, they just all happened to be free agents at the same time. So they basically got the same contract. You know what I mean? So again, the idea that Kelly doesn't deserve what he's being paid. Yeah. Maybe not for the 12 games that he's shown, but like you said, they're paying for future performance. They think he's going to continue to be this player. And if he is, this is money well spent. Speaking of quarterbacks who might reset the market in the future, Trey Ford in Edmonton. Now, obviously, it's only been a couple games, but that offense has looked much, much better with Trey Ford behind center for the Edmonton Elks. Uh, Canadian guy, if he continues to play this well, you know, he might be making some big money in the CFL as well. The Elks, you know, aren't out of it as crazy as it seems. What do you think about this Elks team? And, you know, they've won two in a row. They break the streak at home, the losing streak at home last week. They're facing the Calgary Stampeders twice in a row. Can the Elks salvage the season or is it uh, just, you know, a bright spot for next season? I don't want to rain on the parade, but I don't think, I I think they can overtake Calgary for fourth in Mm -hmm. the West, but I think they're too far gone to catch Saskatchewan. Especially now that Saskatchewan won this week, they're what five yeah. and five, six and five. It's I a, think now are they six and five? I think. I, oh, I, I, I think you're right. I th- I, yeah, yeah. I, you're right. I think that I don't think they've played. I don't think they've had more than one bye week. So I think you're right. I think they're six and five. They're four games back of. Yep, you're right. They are six and five. Just look. So they're four games back. That's a big chunk. Like even if they beat the Stamps in these next two, and the Riders drop their next game, like you're six and six. You're you're four and nine. Like it's still a big ask for them to get back into it. Yeah. They've made things a little more interesting for themselves. I think this is it'll if they lose one or both of the stamps this week, like it's this like today they, they play the later the later half of the the Labor Day doubleheader, and then they play again in a rematch the following week. If they lose both of those, they're done. If they win yeah. both of those, maybe the heartbeat starts to flutter, but I just don't think they're gonna be able to do enough to overtake the riders or even to cross over into the east. I just think Yeah. You start 0 and 9. And the thing is, they beat they beat Hamilton, they beat Ottawa. It's not exactly like they've, you know, toppled some, you know, slain some dragons there. You know what I mean? Like the Ticats probably should have won that game if, if they were even a remotely competent team at that point. 
the Red Blacks, I, that was kind of a – again, we, I think we overestimate how good the Red Blacks have been. That Dustin Crum stuff was a very long time ago, and they've gone back to being the kind of sad sack team they've been the last few years. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't want to poo-poo anything. It's a CFL. Anything can happen. We've seen, I mean, we, the Ty Cats in 2017 were 0-8 and nearly got into the playoffs. Like they, I think they, it was a second-to-last week or third-to-last week loss that knocked them out. So anything's possible. I just look at – their best pass is their best path is probably through the east, and I just don't know if like right now they're two games back at Hamilton and they have to eclipse Hamilton. I just I don't I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I you know it's exciting to see a, a guy like Trey Ford come in and ignite an offense, and you know it's just they'd have to go nine and nine or eight and 10, you know, you can only lose one more game in the second half of the season. That's asking and that's a lot for a team. Happen. That's not going to happen. So uh, I think, you know, the, the future looks a little bit brighter in Edmonton for the Elks, but uh, ne- I think it might be next year that they, you know, become somewhat of a contender and maybe make the playoffs. It's just too, it may be if they started Trey Ford earlier in the season and they, they got some wins, Earlier in the season, uh, we would be talking about them, but to start zero and nine, it's just it's too difficult to climb that that mountain. Yeah, even in the CFL, where like I said, we saw the Ticats do this one year where they were zero and eight and, and nearly fighting claw their way back in the playoffs. It's just it's too big of a mountain to climb. But one thing I think we we can deaden right now, if Trey Ford is not the starting quarterback to start the season for the Edmonton Elks next year they're doing something wrong. I'm not saying Trey Ford is the next great quarterback. Like his passing numbers haven't been out of this world. And I think, I think he had his first 300 yard passing game in the last game against Ottawa. Everything before that was sub 200, Mm. but he brings an extra dimension to the offense. He can use his legs. I think his decision-making is better than Taylor Cornelius's unless the Elks find a way, way. man, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, unless the Elks find a way to, snag a, a legitimate start like an elite starting quarterback like they make mm-hmm. a trade for someone or something you know what i mean like and i don't see that happening but you have to start trey ford next year like that's what this run here has shown you even if the elks bottom out and finish the season like five and 13 to me he's done enough over this small sample size we've seen the last three weeks to earn the uh, the opportunity to be the starting guy going into training camp now if he goes into training camp gets beat out so be it I just don't know how you could sell anyone other than Ford as the starter if he's on the team next year, just based on what he's done the past few weeks. Yeah, I'm totally with you. You know, you have to go with Ford. He opens up so many things for the offense. You see like Kevin Brown running the ball much better now because there's the threat of Trey Ford running the ball or passing the ball or anything like that. So it opens up the whole offense to a new dimension, I believe for the Edmonton Elks and, uh, I'm in total agreement with you. They have to go with Ford. It's an exciting brand of football when he's out there, and they're starting to win games. So, yeah, there's no question. Okay, so we obviously missed the game against the Lions and the Elks. We're not going to go into the Elks game because uh, nope. you know that that was a million years ago, and it we don't need to talk on. about that. Yeah, and I didn't even see the second half of the game. I was uh, obviously on vacation, but uh, I didn't. I was using my data. Uh, I was at my aunt and uncle's watching the first half of the game. Then the, the, the weather delay hit. So I didn't want to keep them up. So I went back to where we were staying. I didn't have a TV there. So I listened to the second half of the game. Uh, obviously very disappointing, 
But the game against the Lions, what a great performance by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What a great performance in the run game. James Butler tore it up. How fun was it watching uh, this, this run attack actually be utilized and actually work like it's supposed to? It was refreshing to see them be as efficient and effective offensively for the first time seemingly all season. Like Even in the games they had won previous to that, they beat the Red Blacks, they beat the Elks. The Elks game, I guess they were pretty darn good offensively, scoring nearly 40 points. But this felt like the best all-around game we saw from them. They kept a very potent, high-scoring BC offense out of the end zone until basically – I won't say the game was over because the touchdown that they did get made it a one-score game, but then it was immediately followed by the single worst onside kick attempt I have ever seen. Like, you should not be able to house – a, a pooch kick like that. Like that should never happen. And Tim White catches the ball and all of a sudden there's two BC defenders behind him and he's walking to the end zone. But the defense played great. The running game, James Butler was a man possessed. We talked about it a little earlier. He clearly had a chip on his shoulder wanting to come back to BC and saying, hey, you guys should have given me the big contract to stay here. It was, it was nice to see. The thing that stood out to me though, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this, the amount of times we saw Taylor Powell under center, like hand mm. on the butt. I was watching this. Like they came out in that formation and then they did it like a dozen or so times. And I'm just like, we haven't seen, and we, you and I, a few months back, we rewatched the 98 East final. And that was something that stood out to us. Like I, we, I, even if you go back, it's, it's on our Patreon page, you go back and listen to it. I think we talk about it where it's like, we're seeing a lot of like literal under center, not shotgun to see that it was kind of like a blast from the past and it really worked. And then once the Lions started picking up on it, they, they still used it, but they went away from it a little bit more. And I think that was the biggest key to this game. The biggest thing that stood out to me, you mentioned the run game, them lining up under center, but then making adjustments at halftime. And I know that I was brandished as a Condell supporter, but the one area where I definitely think that he needed to improve was in the defense has figured out what you're doing. Why do you keep doing it? You have to try something else. And he was never very good at that, never very good at the adjustments. Milanovic is really good at it because you saw late in the first half, I think it was Matthew Betts. They were, they were doing the under center stuff and he didn't even go after the quarterback. He beelined it right to Butler, got him for a tackle for a loss. And that was kind of the wake up call. It's like, okay, we can use this, but we, they figured out what we're doing. We have to change things up a little bit, did a little bit different offensively in the second half. I know this doesn't really answer your question about James Butler. I'm kind of going all over the place, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about the game because it wasn't like a week and a half ago, but it was just some, these are the things that I was like, Oh man, I really wish we were doing a show and I wasn't stuck in the middle of, middle of nowhere Prince Edward Island with spotty internet connection. So we can't do one because I was just, I was just so like, it was like, you're seeing color for the first time. almost like, Oh, it's a blast <laughs> yeah. on the past. And like, I know when's the last time you saw this with any sort of regularity. It was just, it was really nice. And they were hanging the ball off from that formation. And they were, it was just, it was again, it was what, what is old is new again, kind of, but at the same time, it just, it felt refreshing to see them try something different. And then when it actually worked, it's like, Oh, so now you've added this other dimension to the offense where it's like, maybe you don't do it as a focal point going forward, but now you know if you line up in it, it can work. And of course, the running game, to kind of dovetail back into what you're talking about, the running game worked because the offensive line was physical. They manhandled a really good defensive front from BC, although BC is a better pass rush defense and a run-stopping defense. But to see Butler do that thing, to see the, the running game featured – used in conjunction with what was a fairly good passing attack. I think Taylor Powell was 
was efficient with the ball. I think he he had 70-something percent completion percentage. He wasn't asked to make big plays, but when he had to, he could. It was just, I think, the, the best way to describe the whole thing, and you can then give your opinion, it was the best total game performance we had seen from this team all season. Absolutely. You know, and, and against a defense that has been hailed as the best in the league this season. So yep. it was no small task. And I just want to say more hands on the butt. Like it's not illegal to have hands on the butt and we can do it more often and, and we can mix it up uh, in that, you know, right under center uh, formation. I, I love to see it. it. Like you said, it was a throwback to the 90s um, and, and they can go off that. Like you said, like bets bit hard and went after the running back on that one play well what if they don't hand the ball off and go play action and throw it downfield yep. that's how this thing works right so i love the game plan from scott milanovich it was tremendous it worked perfectly and uh, i'm hoping to see more of it in this game let's touch on powell you know obviously not huge numbers last game against the bc lions but a very efficient i, I just feel like he felt the most comfortable in this offense that game and he's getting better as we go along yeah it's exactly what you wanted to see from him when Bo got hurt and Schultz was already out and we knew he'd go back on the starting line this is why I was saying let the kid play for these six games with Bo out let's see what you have in him and as the games have gotten his he's gotten more game time he's he's gotten better his decisions have become better his mm -hmm. his vision of the field has become better he's Going, looking at multiple reads, he's not just one read and go like we've seen from some guys in the past. It's he's you only get better by playing in the game because the game goes so fast. Like you can play at a high level in college, which he did, but he's a smart guy. He was like an academic, all big Mac conference or whatever. I can't remember. I think it was, I think he played in the Mac. Yep. So, he, like, all those things, like, he's he was one of those guys. So, to see him, you knew that he was a smart player, so you knew that game time would just make him better. And now you kind of look at him now and you're like, oh, you, you're starting to see more and more and more. And they're not putting too much on the shoulders. The, the run game helps a young quarterback, which is why James Butler is so valuable right now. And Scott Milanovic knows how to use the running game to great effect. He did it as an OC in Montreal. He did it as a head coach in Toronto. He's doing it now with the Ticats. And now that we're getting some, some guys back on the offensive line, it's going to make things easier for him these next couple of games. Like obviously Jordan Murray's not going to play today, but I – feel comfortable saying he's probably going to play the next week in Ottawa. So you add better guys up front. He's not running for his life. It just makes everything better. And that makes him a better player, allows him to do the things that he can do as a quarterback. So yeah, again, like I said, it was a total team effort of the best game they played. And that includes Taylor Powell it was his best game as a pro. Yeah. And I, I mentioned that, you know, the numbers weren't monster numbers by any stretch, but the, but he was very efficient. He was 18 of 23 for 220, yeah. 22 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions, no turnovers. So the guy looked, like I said, he looked very comfortable in this offense last week, throwing the ball. He was efficient. So that's all we need to do. If we have a solid running game and if he has time in the pocket, we should be good. You know, now going into the receivers, Tim White led the team with five receptions for, you know, 57 yards. They spread the ball around to this receiving core in this one. So no receivers really stood out with like over 100 yards and a couple touchdowns, but they didn't need to, right? They had a balanced attack and it was nice to see Tim White contribute after a couple of weeks of kind, kind of being a ghost out there. Yeah, this was the time of the year last year where he started to pick up his play. So hopefully yeah. that continues to go. And he had the touchdown on the 
on the kick return too. So he was able to contribute in multiple ways. Obviously that's not going to be a, a continuing thing. He was out there for the hands team because they were going for the, the short kick, but still found a way into the end zone. And yeah, like it was just offensively, it was a James Butler game and defensively just clamped down on everything BC did. They got some passing yards. I'm sure we're going to talk about defense shortly in a briefly in a, in a short second, but defensively they, they clamped down the receivers. Then Keon Hatcher had a pretty decent game, but other than that, it was, they, they hemmed in BC's offense, which which was maybe the most impressive thing about the entire game because that BC offense is a high-scoring bunch. Like, Vern Adams has been slinging it all over the field, and they held him in there. So it was, uh, again, like I said, good total performance from the team. Now, I have the offensive game plan in the list of things to talk about, but we, we've talked about that already. Yeah. It was a great offensive game plan from Scott Milanovic. Now, the offensive line, you know, they've had their troubles. Uh, you know, in that game against the Elks, pass protection was pretty bad. I believe they gave up uh, five or six sacks in that one, which is unacceptable. But they really let them be physical in, in the game against the Lions and do some run blocking. Obviously, you know, James Butler, huge game. The offensive line had a big thing to do with that, opening up holes for the, for the running back. Yeah, no, the offensive line was tremendous. It was the best game we'd seen from the two young kids on the on the ends. Mm-hmm. The middle of the again, you let them be physical, and maybe those guys aren't. And again, that's probably why they shouldn't be playing. And I've said this, and I, I stand by it. They're not starting caliber CFL tackles, but maybe the one reason is is they're better run blockers than they are pass blockers. And you can't start in the CFL if you're not a good pass blocker on the offensive line. But they showed their physicality, and I thought Sartour personally was was really good. They BC's pass rush can get after you. Matthew Betts leads the league in sacks and is a contender for most outstanding defensive player for a reason. Held him in check for most of that game. So it was, again, like I said, with everything, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it was the best performance from the whole team, and that includes the offensive line. I think it was the best game of the year. So let's get to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, did uh, any particular particular group stand out to you, the defensive line, the, the linebackers, the secondary? What did you take away from their performance? Well, I thought Casey Sales was excellent, as always. I thought the defensive line was de- – I mean, they did a good job against the run, without without question. I think Mizell had under 50 yards or around 50 yards rushing, and, and he's been – he's been he's got the skills to beat people and had a few times, although he slowed down a bit after the injury. We've known the Ticats have given up a ton rushing. Vern Adams didn't have a, a big game rushing. Jameer Thurman made the big interception to kind of – I won't say sealed the game, but it felt like – oh, okay, if they get points here, it's probably over, and I think they converted that into a field goal later. Uh, but I just thought the defense as a whole was was pretty good. The secondary needed work. They gave up a lot in the passing attack, but a lot of that was late in the game. BC needed to get chunk yards, so they did it. But for the most part, you can't fault it. What, what was the final score, 30-13? to 13? You can't really fault yeah, the defensive yeah. performance when they give up. They only give up 13 points and only one touchdown. It was, again, like everything else the best performance that we've seen from the whole, but the secondary was a little concerning, but the other groups made up for it. Yeah, absolutely. The defensive line and the linebackers helped out the secondary. So they didn't, you know, have to cover for so long. I, I felt like they had decent pressure, uh, uh, you know, taking over the quarterback uh, on Vernon Adams for, for pretty much the whole game. And, and they made him uncomfortable. They didn't allow touchdowns, which was a great thing. So, Thumbs up to the defensive performance, and I thought that uh, there was a pretty good game plan there as well from the from Mark Washington, the the defensive coordinator. Yeah, now let's see if you can put back to back performances together. That's been his bugaboo mm-hmm. with this defense this year. They have a great defensive performance, and they lay an egg the next week. Let's see if he can do it again this week against an equally potent Argos attack. Also, shout out Mark Leggio, come bounces back yep. from a horrendous performance against the Alps and goes perfect 
on uh, on field goals. So shout out to him as well because we saw that he when he got the yips in Winnipeg, it would get into his head. Seems as if he's he's gotten past that. So good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Three for three, like you said, on field goals, and he's uh, he's been pretty good. You know, he had that one bad game, like you said, but for for the most part, except for some extra points uh, here and there, he's been making his field goals. So not a lot to talk about with the return game. You know, there wasn't any big returns in that one. Besides, obviously, at the the end of the game with uh, Tim White collecting that onside kick and taking it to the house. But other than that, uh, you know, that that pretty much does it for this pregame show. Is there anything else you want to touch on before uh, we get ready for this Labor Day Classic? No, I think we've teed everyone up for today's game. It's it's noon here in the Eastern time zone. So we're about three and a half hours from kickoff. We'll be back probably, I'm thinking 7.30ish, maybe an hour, 45 minutes to an hour after the game to discuss everything that happened tonight. Hopefully... We're talking Ty Cats W. I think we're going to be talking Ty Cats W. But as someone pointed out, I have the times I think the team's going to be going to kick ass. They lay an egg, and the times I think they're going to lay an egg, they kick ass. So maybe I should say the Argos are going to win this by forty, and the Ty Cats will come out and absolutely ground and pound them and smash them in the face. But I guess we just have to wait and see. It's Labor Day Classic. It's it's the best regular season game, the most hyped regular season game in these parts in in this league and. It, it feels like the season just started and we're already past the halfway point. It's crazy to think, but uh, yeah, I don't think we have anything more left to touch on. So let's just hope we can get a W today and we can come back and have a grand old time talking about a win. So thanks to everyone who joined us here live for a special edition of we're live pal pregame show. I am Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. <laughs>